we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Where there is jealousy, there is hate. Has hate any relationship to love? Is love the opposite of hate? Hello and welcome to episode 107 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the archives of the Philosopher's Talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is hate. Upcoming themes are experience, the arts of looking and listening and sorrow. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our official YouTube channels for hundreds of advert-free audio and video recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and clips. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on hate has four sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in Sanan, 1982, titled Is Hatred Going to Destroy Us? We have evolved through million years. If you do not accept million years, at least 25,000 years, We have evolved, grown through time, accumulating a lot of experience, knowledge. And what has happened to us as human beings? What has happened to man? After all these centuries upon centuries, please, Together we are investing it. You are not looking at the picture I am drawing. Because that's the only problem in the world now. Either we are going to destroy ourselves through hatred, through antagonism, through brutality and nationalism and so on, or question not only the the political world, the religious world, the world of entertainment, the world of philosophy, the world of morality, 
and discover for ourselves why we have we are what we are we have become violent brutal savage fighting each other in the name of peace in the name of country in the name of honor hating each other there is the economic war the religious war the actual physical war we are producing armaments the industrial countries as i one heard the other day one country is producing so much they're exporting 80% of their armament and 20% keeping to their own country as defense the investigator asked what do, you do what happens to the 80% who said we don't care as long as it goes out so that the so called enemy buys your ins your armaments and then kills you which you have produced this is actually happening that's mad so when us oneself why we have become like this perpetual conflict both inward and outward politically religiously economically and in our relationships with each other the people who hate and do all kinds of mischievous things the religious leader talking everlastingly about peace and there is no peace on earth there is no justice on earth but only war killing each other by word by a phrase by an idea conflict between ideologies i'm sure you we know all this the east and the west the totalitarians and the demo- so called democratic but when you observe dispassionately without any bars the national patriotic spirit dividing people killing each other this is what man after millennia upon millennia has become that is through evolution of the he has become what he is now through various cultures 
the great technology, <coughs> marvelous architecture, great paintings, music, but inwardly he's more or less the same as he has been for millennia. That's a fact. It's not a statement by the speaker which you have to accept. This is an obvious, daily, observable, dispassionate fact. If time has brought us to this level, to this condition, and proceed to depend on time, evolution will continue the same pattern of hate, of wars, of destroying each other, hatred, wanting to be violent, terror and all the rest of it. This has been going on historically, psychologically, for the last 10,000 or 50,000 years, this tribalism. So we must first observe this, then discover for ourselves, see the fact, evolution, which is time, has brought us to this state. Right? Time has brought us to this state. And if we proceed along the same way as we are doing now, that is, accepting evolution, we'll continue the same pattern. We must be clear on this subject. Tradition, which is the past, Tradition of war, tradition of war, tradition of nationalism, the tradition of isolation, isolated communities, which is all the forms of tribalism, savagery included in that tribalism, and this is our tradition. Each country must look after itself at the expense of other countries. Patriotism is extolled, praised, called a new spirit. And there is internationalism, which is absurd if you look at it. How can isolated countries have any relationship internationally. <coughs> they are isolated. They look at the world from their isolated point of view. <coughs> These are all everyday actual facts. So when asked, and I hope you are asking this yourself, if we go along this pattern, 
this tradition, more and more ancient, will perpetuate wars, nationalism, isolation. If that is very clear, that we will inevitably follow the same pattern, if we accept that we are going to bring about (coughs) a psychological transformation through time, you understand all this? And we shall go into what we mean by time. If we accept (coughs) the psychological change, the self-centred activity, which can be transformed through time, it is a fallacy, it's an illusion. Don't accept what the speaker is saying. That is, he's saying, we have accepted this tradition of tribalism, isolation, nationally, economically, and religiously, and if we pursue that same direction, the same path, we shall be as we are now, in spite of time. You understand this? Is this clear between us? So what shall we do? That is the real problem. There is no other problem, economic, war, all the horrors that are going in the world. This is the central problem. The central problem, which is, man has become like this through evolution, through time. Brutal, violent, terror, always ready to kill another at the drop of a hat, hating others, antagonism, which is perpetual conflict between himself and in the world. We have lived like that. Religiously, economically, politically, psychologically, inwardly. We have lived like this for 50,000 years. Nobody inquires into that. Why we live like this? Why we are willing to kill another? in the name of God, in the name of ideologies, in the name of patriotism, and so on, so on. We are no better than we were 50,000 years ago, only we have more civilized. We have better bathrooms, better means of killing others, Better literature, 
music. Those are all peripheral activities, forms of entertainment. But inwardly, in our depth, in our heart, in our minds, we remain what we have been through evolution, through time, and we have not fundamentally changed. The second extract is from the seventh talk in Ojai, 1949, titled How Am I to be Free of Hate? I believe, if I am perfectly honest, I have to admit that I resent and at times almost hate everybody. It makes my life very unhappy and painful. I understand intellectually that I am this resentful, this hatred, but I cannot cope with it. Can you show me a way? Now, what do we mean by intellectual? When we say that I understand something intellectually, what do we mean by that? Is there such thing as intellectual understanding? Or merely, we understand the words because that's the only way to communicate with each other, the mind. Do we understand anything verbally? So that is the first thing we have to be clear. Whether the so-called intellectual understanding is not an impediment to understanding. Surely understanding is integral, not separate, not partial. Whether I understand something or I don't understand. So to say to my oneself that I understand something intellectually is surely a barrier to understanding. It's a partial process and therefore no understanding at all. Now, the question is this. How am I who I am resentful, hateful. How am I to be free or cope with that problem? How do we cope with a problem? What is a problem? Surely a problem is something which is disturbing. Please, may I suggest something? You just 
follow what I'm saying. Don't try to solve your problem of resentment and hate. Just follow it. Because it's difficult to go into this so that at the end of it you are free of it, if we can do it now. It would be rather interesting experiment to try with each other. I am resentful. I am hateful. I hate people. And it causes pain. And I am aware of it. What am I to do? It's a very disturbing factor in my life. What am I to do? How am I to really be free of it? Not just uh, kind of momentarily slough it off, but fundamentally be free of it. How am I to do it? Now, it is a problem to me because it disturbs me. If it wasn't a disturbing thing, it wouldn't be a problem to me, would it? Because it causes pain, disturbance, anxiety. I think it's ugly. Therefore, I want to get rid of it. Therefore, the, the thing that I'm objecting to is the disturbance. Isn't it? I give it different names according to different, at different times to different moods. I call it one day this and one day another thing another. But the the desire, basically, is not to be disturbed. Isn't that it? Because pleasure is not disturbing, therefore I accept it. I don't want to be free from pleasure. But there is no disturbance, at least for the time being. But hate, resentment, are very disturbing factors in my life, and I want to get rid of So what I am concerned is not to be disturbed. And I am trying to find a way in which I shall never be disturbed. And why shouldn't I be disturbed? I must be disturbed to find out, mustn't I? I must go through tremendous upheavals, turmoils, anxiety to find out, mustn't I? Because if I'm not disturbed, I shall go to sleep. And perhaps that's what most of us do want. To pacify, to put to sleep, to get, to get away from any disturbance. To find the isolation seclusion, security. So if I 
do not mind being disturbed. Really, not superficial. I don't mind being disturbed because I want, I want to find out. Then my attitude towards hate, towards resentment surely goes, doesn't it? Then, if I do not mind being disturbed, then the name is not important, is it? Then the word hate is not important, is it? Or resentment against people is not important, is it? Because then I am directly experiencing that state which I, which, that word which I call resentment. That experience which I call resentment. I do not know if I am explaining myself. That is, anger is a very disturbing quality, as hate and resentment. And very few of us experience anger directly without verbalizing it. If we do not verbalize it, if we don't say, call it anger, surely there is a different experience there, is there not? Because we term it, we reduce a new experience or fix it in the terms of the old. Whereas if we do not name it, then it is an experience which is directly understood. And this understanding brings about a transformation in that experiencing. Am I making myself clear? Nice, please. It's not simple. Take, for example, meanness. Most of us are unaware of it, if we are mean. Mean about money matters, mean about forgiving people, you are mean, being mean. I'm sure we are familiar with that. Now, being aware of it, I always want to be free from that quality, not become generous. That is not the, that's not important point. To be free from meanness implies generosity. You haven't got to become generous. First, obviously, one must be aware of it. 
You may be very generous in giving a large donation to your society, to your friends, but awfully mean in giving a bigger tip. You know, you know what I mean by mean. One is unconscious of it. When one becomes aware of it, what happens? Then we exert our will to be generous. We try to overcome it. But if we do not do that, which is after all the exertion of will to be something is still part of a meanness in a larger circle. And if one is aware of it, one tries to overcome it, discipline oneself to be generous and so on and so on. If we do not do any of those things, but merely be aware of what, what are the implications of meanness and do not give it a term, then you will see that there takes place a radical transformation. Anger. If you do not give it a term, but merely be a, merely experience, not through verbalization. Because the verbalization is a process of dulling the experience. Uh, but if you do not give it a term, it is acute. It becomes very sharp. Then it acts as a shock. And it is only then that it is possible to be free. Please, experiment with this. First, one must be disturbed. It's obvious that most of us do not like to be disturbed. We think we have found a pattern of life, the master, the belief, whatever it is, and they are settled down. Like having a good bureaucratic office, job, and their function for the rest of one's life. With that same mentality we approach various qualities of which we want to be raised. But if we see the importance of being disturbed, being inwardly insecure, not being dependent, because surely it's only in insecurity that you discover, that you see, that you understand. Like a man with, with plenty of money at ease, surely he will never be disturbed. He doesn't want to be disturbed. So disturbance is essential for understanding. And any attempt to find security is a hindrance to understanding. 
And when we want to get rid of something, which is a disturbing quality, it surely is a hindrance. And if we can experience a feeling directly without naming it, I think we will find a great deal in it. Then there is no longer a battle with it. Because the experiencer and the thing experienced are one. And that is it. As long as the experiencer verbalizes the feeling, the experience, then he is separate. Then he acts upon it. And that such an action is an artificial illusory action. But if there is no verbalization, the experiencer and the thing experienced are one. And that integration is necessary to be radically free. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Brockwood Park in 1982, titled The Flame of Attention Burns Away Hate. Human beings in the world in which they have lived for so many million years, not 4,500 years ago, not the fundamentalist idea, which is rather absurd. They have lived for so many, many years, centuries upon centuries. They have accepted conflict. They have accepted hate. They have accepted to wound each other, kill each other. And when one realizes that our consciousness is not a mine, my thinking is not mine, thinking is common to all mankind, whether they are poor, uneducated, completely ignorant and superstitious, he thinks, or the great scientists, they think. Thinking is yours, it's not yours or mine, it's thinking. And one begins then to discover that the observation is far more acute, direct, has a quality of decision. not analyzing, tearing everything to pieces to find out. Or why we act this way and go back to your grandmother or your mother or your father. That too becomes rather, if I may, I hope there aren't any psychologists here, rather immature. 
Please, we have discussed this matter with many psychologists. So don't, there are any psychologists here, please don't get hurt. Just look, listen, observe what we are saying. We may be totally wrong, subject to all your correction, but inquire, look at it. Where there is observation, there is no analysis. Just to observe, as you would observe a beautiful mountain, you cannot alter it. Its grandeur, its majesty, its great beauty. Just to observe. In observation, there is beauty. So, with such quality of observation, we're going to look. Not how what I think is observation, but together to observe. You understand? Are we together in this little bit? To observe, say for example, the hate that's spreading throughout the world. One human being wanting to hurt another by a gesture, by a word, by a look, by something that you write or say. Hate is spreading throughout the world. The poor man who has hardly anything to eat in the East hates when you go by in your car, have clean clothes. You understand all this? And see how what the recent wars in this country and other parts of the world are doing, the cultivating hate in the name of God, in the name of country and all that, patriotism and all that childish stuff. So, observe this hate. Do do we hate anybody? Rather, it's an odd question to ask. But it's right, we are going to go into all this. Do we hate somebody? Because if somebody you hate, because for various reasons he might have hurt you psychologically. Anger is part of hate. When you observe, not analyze this hate why human beings have cultivated diligently this hate through wars. Can one, in oneself, can one honestly, without any sense of hypocrisy, dishonesty, say, I've observed my hate over another, and it is in observation, 
which is like a flame of attention, wipes away that hate. And most of us from childhood are hurt, wounded by parents, by teachers, by being hurt through comparison, better marks, better you'll do you know the whole business of modern education. You're getting hurt. And to observe that wound or many wounds or there are not many wounds, there is only one wound, one hurt. That is hurt. You may be hurt by this person or that person for this reason or for that reason, but the hurt is same. Can you look at that hurt, observe it, not try to transcend it, to go beyond it, all the rest of it? Because when you observe the hurt, you will see all the consequences of that hurt. It's a wound that's continuous, though it may be submerged, it's continuous. It has it is producing various results. Results of isolation, fear, the gradually resistance and further isolation. So when you observe very closely this hurt, which is to observe, to give your total attention to that observation, it's like fire that burns out, that cleanses the wound. So. We are proceeding still further into the inquiry of observation, which is to observe our relationship with each other. The final extract in this episode is from the fourth talk in Madras, 1983, titled Has Hate Any Relationship to Love? So we ought to look into what is love. That word has been so spoiled. A romantic woman calls the love of God, the love of my guru, the love of my painting, my book. You understand? We have given to that word such shallow meaning. One may say, I love my wife. One questions that love. 
that love is maybe attachment, that love may be seeking comfort, pleasure sexually, pleasure of companionship, and so on. So we are going to consider what is love. Because in trying to uh, see the depth of it, the beauty, the extraordinary quality of it, love may be related to death. So we are going together to look at it. Please, this is not a lecture in view of in instruction, but it's together as two human beings, facing a world which is so becoming so dangerous. One must ask this question. Surely, to find something true, one must negate that which is not true. I negate the false. You might then say, each to each person the false is different. To each person that which is illusory. That is, which is not objective, not rational, sane. So, to discover what is false and what is true, and what is true in the false, one requires not the capacity to think clearly only. But the demand, the asking, questioning, so what is love? Would you say love is desire? Would you say love is pleasure. Don't shake your head, it's meaningless. Would you say love is attachment? Please, the speaker is asking these questions. For you to answer to yourself honestly, not deceive yourself, which is so easy to deceive oneself. You may think you are a marvelous human being, you are out of all this. But to find out that which is not love. 
that is the negation is the most positive action we're asking is desire love is it we went into the question of desire yesterday we won't go into it again now if you don't mind is desire love desire is a move is a wandering movement and is love wandering unstable weak or is something as strong as vital as death is love pleasure sexual pleasure the pleasure of owning dominating possessing a person is that love is attachment to the person my wife my husband my family attached which means latin attacai which means to hold on cling to is that love for in attachment there is fear jealousy anxiety hate where there is jealousy there is hate is that love has hate any relationship with love is it is love the opposite of hate is the good opposite of that which is not good ask these questions and don't when an opposite like hate if if hate is the opposite of love then hate has its root in love all opposites have their root in their own opposites and getting tired so please examine your own life not listen to what the speaker is saying examine each one of your own life honestly and ask these questions desire pleasure attachment jealousy anxiety fear of losing 
is all that love? So, can you be free of attachment? Not at the last moment when death is there. Can you be end attachment to another? See the implications of attachment, the consequences of attachment. Fear, anxiety, jealousy. Where there is jealousy, there is hate, anger, and more. There is a, when there is attachment, and it is all that love. And what is compassion? Not the definition. You can look up in a dictionary. What is compassion? What is the relationship between love and compassion? Or they are the same movement. When we use the word relationship, it implies a duality, a separation. But we are we are asking, what is? What place is love in compassion? Or love is the highest expression of compassion. How can one be compassionate if you belong to any religion? Follow any guru, believe in something, believe in your scriptures, in your guru, and so on. Attach to a conclusion. When you accept your guru, you are you have reached you have come to a conclusion. Or when you strongly believe in God or in a saviour or in this or that, can there be compassion? You may do social work, help the poor, out of pity, out of sympathy, out of charity. But is all that love and compassion? So, in understanding the nature of love, having that quality, you understand, which is mind in the heart, that is. Intelligence, which is a very complex question, 
intelligence is the understanding or the discovering of what love is. Intelligence has nothing whatsoever to do with thought, with cleverness, with knowledge. You may be very clever in your studies, in your job, in being able to argue very cleverly, intelligently, very cleverly, reasonably, but that's not intelligence. Intelligence goes with love and compassion. And with that intelligence, if there is, if you have come upon it, and you cannot come upon it as an individual, compassion is not yours or mine, like thought is not yours or mine. Where there is intelligence, there is no me and you. And intelligence doesn't abide in your heart or in your mind. That intelligence which is supreme is everywhere. It is that intelligence that moves the earth and the heavens and the stars. Because that is compassion.